on today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom. If God is sovereign, does my vote for president actually count? Christ is king, and on that one, no, your vote certainly does not count. And in the great words of the Bellamy brothers, politicians beware, there's a loophole you've missed. Jesus is coming, and boy is he... Have you ever heard that song? I have not. It's an old country song. I don't know how old it is. Maybe it sounds like it's kind of like '90s style. You know, it's like, yeah. I I don't I don't I don't have an appreciation for the different styles of country. I usually yeah. just have one box for country music. It's a twangy box. Yeah, it's a twangy box. It usually has a steel guitar or something like yeah. that, or a or a fiddle. Yeah, it's all it's all of that. It's like a slow it's funny. It's like a slow ballad. It's like, you know, politicians beware, you know, and then it's like, yeah, Jesus is coming and boy is he pissed and he just goes down all of the the things that it's like, look, this has departed from God's design in the following ways and so Jesus is coming and rawr, it's but it's like a slow love ballad sounding tune like musically. It's funny. That would be very Got some irony going on there. A little bit, yeah. 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 Musically, not a great tune, but I'm glad they did it. Okay, so, uh, (laughs) you know what I just realized? I'm looking at the show notes here. Yeah. Because uh, contrary to popular belief, we actually do do a little bit of prep for each episode. Tiny bit. It it takes about four minutes, but uh, I I didn't fill in a uh, dedication. So we need to figure out who to dedicate this episode to. The Bellamy Brothers. There we go. I don't know. Sure. There you go. All right. Episode 68, guys. We're going to uh, get into some wisdom, but not from Proverbs today. We're going to do something a little bit different. Let's dig it. All right. I'm going to read Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. Prophecy. Here we go. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved Understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of persia (laughs) ben's acting out the war of angels punching each other in the face i was kept there with the princes of persia and he came to to make you understand oh sorry i came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for days yet to come all right what's going on here we got an angel showing up answering daniel's prayers and uh apparently there was some kind of fight and whatever so the question here is wait a second there's angels fighting over countries and the answer is yep so here's the story a lot of people don't know this uh because it's not discussed very much in western christianity but in the worldview of the jews uh, and especially the ones who like wrote the new testament uh, this was in the background of how they saw the world right this was kind of the um the, the preconditions for everything that we see around us, especially with nations in conflict. So here are the basics. 
and I'm really boiling this down. Each nation was created by God. God split, well, I mean, we'll see that here pretty soon. God split people up and created nations, essentially. And so each nation was created by God. Each one was given angelic managers. So God put supernatural managers over each nation so that there's a relationship, even though there's a distinction, there's a relationship between earthly kingdoms and heavenly authorities and so on. But the angels rebelled, and so now they fight each other. And, uh, you know, this has political implications. So there are political fights, there are, you know, military fights in the world, but this is not disconnected from the angels that fight each other over countries. In other words, there are spiritual battles, and they use earthly assets to fight the battles. This doesn't mean that we're robots. It means you've got two different decision-making entities, earthly ones and heavenly ones, and it's all very complicated. It's like... uh, you know, it's like um, watching a, a chess match where all the pieces are moving in, in at full speed all the time, right, and reacting to each other. But people and people groups are included. So Genesis chapter 10, you get the table of nations. Oddly enough, you get 70, uh, 70 nations basically listed out there. Fun fact for you, Pastor Ben, if, uh, if you break up the language families in the world, you end up with roughly 70 different language families now that we can trace out. So it's like, hmm, wonder where those came from. So Genesis 10, you get the table of nations. Genesis 11 is the whole Tower of Babel thing. God was like, yo, spread out. I want this world to be filled up. I want different types of people. I want different cultures. I want all of this beauty and diversity and all of this stuff. And people said, Hey, how about this? Instead of spreading out, why don't we gather? Instead of going, why don't we come? Why don't we cloister? And instead of making God's glory great all over the world, how about we make our name great here? We're going to build the Tower of Babel. Well, God didn't like that. He said, you will obey me whether you like it or not, which is still his message to the nations, by the way. It's, It's not going to end the way you think it's going to end. You will bow the knee to the Lord. So he splits them up at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Now, here's Moses's explanation of that in Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. He says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided up mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Interesting phrase right there. According to the number of the sons of God. But Yahweh's portion was his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. So the sons of God, heavenly beings, you know, angelic beings, whatever. And he set, he he created nations and set angelic managers over them and then god said yeah but israel that one's for me that one's special and so israel he refers to as his own inheritance so basically moses is saying that god divided up the nations and assigned heavenly stewards over them but yahweh said i get israel so god owns everything but he delegates a lot of it out to 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 run to to be run by other people and he does the same thing in our lives right he owns my house he owns my family but he's delegated it to me to run he does the same thing with with nations so um, the, the story goes like this. Angels act like they are more important than they are, so God fights against them and he wins. That's pretty much the story of, of the spiritual conflict throughout all of history, and that's what's going on in Daniel 10. The angels are fighting back and God's just winning, um, the, the fallen angels. So the culminating event on this is that Jesus inherits every nation for himself and presents it back to the Father. That's how the story is going to end. So here's Psalm 82, uh, verses 6 through 8. It says, I said, you are gods, meaning heavenly beings. You are gods, the the sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like men and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. All right, now when he says arise there, interesting thing. When uh, when they put this into Greek, the first uh, first century Jews, like the apostles and Jesus and stuff, they were reading this in Greek. The word for arise was resurrect. 
And so his so the the they were expecting God to do something akin to a resurrection, and that would be the stamp that he was inheriting the nations. Pastor Ben, pop quiz, uh, just to make sure that you're on your theological uh, game here. Has God ever resurrected? Yes. I got to turn that up. Didn't we like? Didn't we just celebrate that a couple yeah. of weeks ago? Pretty sure we've talked about this recently. Yes. Yeah. So his resurrection was the statement that. Uh, the fate was sealed. It was no longer up for debate. Christ won and he inherits the nations. Now he's applying that victory in real time, but the resurrection was it, man. It was over. He won. So now the church is applying that victory by converting people of each nation so that they don't obey demonic influences anymore, right? We fight against the prince of the power of the air. We fight against the principalities and authorities in the heavenly places. So and by the way, it's actually quite a lot of fun. To, you know, it's not, not always, Fighting hmm. demons is not always fun, hmm. but fighting demons isn't like screaming at him and being like, I rebuke you. That's yeah. not spiritual warfare. This is not like an episode. This is not like the exorcist or anything like that. No, right? spiritual yeah. warfare is when you take, when you take a, a child of Satan, turn him into a child of God, and then you baptize him in public. Like that's spiritual warfare. You can tell maybe I'm on a Michael Heiser kick right now and I am, Woo! but it's, it's true. Baptism is, is an act of spiritual warfare and that's what we do. So first Corinthians 15, here you go. Then comes the end. When he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to the God and Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things under uh, in subjection under him. Now, what that means is um, everybody is bowing to uh, everybody is defeated except for Jesus, right? So like when he says everybody's defeated, Paul's saying, yeah, but not Jesus. He rose from the dead. Uh, Now, verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That's God the Father. That God may be all in all. So he just told you the end of the story. All the nations will be submitted to Christ and we're just kind of working on that right now. So there you have it. The battle among nations, we call this politics, is a spiritual battle just as much as it is a human battle. That's not to say it's not a human battle, but it is uh, also a spiritual battle. We have a role to play. Angels are doing stuff uh, that we don't know much about, to be honest. We know some, but, you know, we are Christians, and that means that we can operate in both realms, in the human realm around us in, in the physical world, and we can operate in the spiritual realm through prayer and spiritual warfare and things like that. Um, you know, so in fact, we kind of have to, we handle our job in the earth as citizens and we have to be in prayer for, you know, our neighbors and our countrymen and our political leaders and so on. We operate in both realms. Mm -hmm. We have two swords, uh, one in each hand, Uh, much like Jesus did actually, which is why we're called, you know, Christians. (laughs) Yeah. So here's, here's the, the tricky part. When we speak on politics, we are to use a prophetic voice, meaning not foretelling the future, but meaning we are to say what God has said. Speak Thus, truth. Speak truth. Yep. Thus saith the Lord. And we need yep. to be able to say that after we after we speak. That doesn't mean we can't have opinions. I'm sure, we, I mean, we're talking politics today. We'll probably get into some of our opinions. And that's fine. We have to make sense of the world around us and, and piece these things together, change our mind where we're wrong. Opinions are okay. It just means that we need to let those come and go as they may. But in the end, we have to be able to tell the political leaders what God has said. Because if we don't, who will? So you know how I'm ending this thing. Psalm 2. Get out of my head. Is there any other other passage for this? Here you go, guys. All of Psalm 2. I think it's like eight verses. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? 
the kings of the earth set themselves and the, the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will also tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's, this is Jesus, by the way. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces with the potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son that he may not be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. We take refuge in the Lord. Good stuff. I love it. I love yep. it. I am, of course, here with the illustrious bearded beaver, Pastor Lazarus, whom Christ has risen from the dead. How you feeling, buddy? <laughs> uh, slightly better than yesterday. <laughs> we were going to record this yesterday, and it was like, nope. No, ben, uh, Pastor Ben was not feeling uh, optimal. Now I'm speaking about myself in the third person, yeah. like Bob Dole. So <laughs> I, must, I must be doing a little bit better, maybe. Bob Dole is running for president. Bob Dole is going to win. <laughs> oh, boy. Apparently All not. right. Okay. Um, okay, so let me let me just lob that out there first. How about guiding principles for what I just mentioned? Separating our political opinions from God's word on the matter. We can't have both, right? We can, but how do we keep them from muddying the waters? Because Christians oftentimes are not good at this. This is a skill. It's something we got to be careful about, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we keep our opinions from overshadowing God's word in our communications with people? We don't, I mean, we, we don't want to be those people that are like, I don't have any political, I'm, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm a Biblocrat, you know, it's just yeah. like, listen, you pretentious snob, like, yeah. <laughs> how about you engage in a conversation? Well, I, I think that, that, that comes in a number of different ways, you know, first of all, um, I mean, I think even in, in any kind of Christian life, right, that our words, we, we season our, our season the truth with love, um, for example, from Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter, I believe four, if I'm remembering correctly, we, we, we speak the truth in love, and so four fifteen. Yep. So as we so as we have these conversations, whatever they might be, that we're speaking the truth, but we're not like you know the we're not yelling and screaming at each other. You know, we're we're saying no. This is what the word of God says. We can speak, and 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 you can speak prophetically clearly, and not be hateful. Now, of course, the world's going to tell you no, that is hate speech. But you know, so what? They suck. Yeah. Man. It's it's like no, no. This is what the word of God says, and this is where I'm where I am convinced. That this is the truth, yeah, and 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 we can have a conversation about that. We can, yeah, and and you know those those are actually I, I think those kinds of conversations can be great because then you start you know you start finding the lines of where people where people's truth claims come from, yeah, and you can you can interact with that. But I think the biggest thing is you know speaking the truth in love, you know, and and it's and 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 letting letting our our opinions or or our convictions be clear. And yet, not you know, not having the baseball bat behind our backs when somebody doesn't say something that we disagree with. Yeah, yeah, and I I get a lot of mileage out of the words like I think or it seems to me, yeah, or that kind of thing. Because if if you're talking about tax policy, mm-hmm. I've got a lot of opinions about tax policy, right? Yeah, but I'm not deriving them from a chapter and verse. It's like this is what seems to me to be most beneficial yeah. to my neighbor. Yeah. And I'll go ahead and advocate for that. And that's fine. Right. You know, you get into things like, uh, uh, 
immigration, uh, uh, gun employment law, employment law, gun laws, right? Mm-hmm. That's a big deal in our area, uh, especially in our state, because that's kind of one of the political battles that's going on right now. And, you know, it's, boy, it's a stretch sometimes the way Christians, you know, um, will advocate for their position on yeah. gun laws for or against, right? Some people are like, Jesus said, love your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor while you're ready to shoot him. So no guns, period. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just tell you flat out, like you're, that's not what Jesus meant when he, he wasn't commenting on the second amendment when he said that, like there's yeah. a context issue. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, you know, it's like, <laughs> go get a sword. Yeah, Here, exactly. here's it's two. Luke, Luke 22, yeah. right? And, and I'm like, guys, okay, so when I was preaching through Luke, which didn't take me long, um, when, when I was <laughs> when I was preaching through Luke, I get to Luke 22, and Jesus is like, you know, do we have a, you know, are there enough swords? And Peter's like, yeah, we got a couple of swords, and Jesus is like, cool. And, you know, all of the 2A guys in the room are like, yeah, praise God! If, if they had AR-15s, he'd have been asking about AR-15s. Right. And I'm just like, yeah, maybe there's something else going on here. Yeah. You know? So it, we, we reach for, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, we reach for the Bible too quickly when it comes to politics. We don't pause to say, is, is, this, is this an area of black and white, thus saith the Lord, or is this yeah. an area where we are to apply wisdom yep. and pursue something, pursue yeah. a, a truth? Well, that comes even from the discussion of, like, essentially the two kingdoms, right? You yes. know, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of, of, of Christ, you mm-hmm. know? And we, this, a lot of this comes from uh, Augustine's um, work. Uh, and, and, and so, who is a, you know, for those of you who are not familiar with ancient theologians, ancient theologian, but um, the idea of, of Christians being dual citizens, citizens of the kingdom of God. We have a king, and he runs us, and he gets to tell us what to do and how to act. You can see some of that even... I believe it's Acts 6, right, when the apostles are, are brought before the Sanhedrin and they have to say, we must obey God rather than men, right? So there's that. Is that four or is it's, it six? It's four. Well, it happens once in, in four and once in five, I believe. Okay, see, so yeah, that's... that's okay. Whatever, it's cool. Yeah, it's there. Okay, read the book of Acts, people. Yeah, read the book of Acts, please. Um, and then secondly, uh, you get into the idea that, that you know, we, we still are called to live by by the by the laws of the of the places in which we find right so you know i mean it's really interesting you know we get into those discussions on like second amendment matters and things mm-hmm. like that and it's like i have i have good friends who are awesome christians who live in countries where they don't have a second amendment mm-hmm. and so they don't own firearms they don't have a constitution yeah. to amend <laughs> exactly they don't, they don't have any you know um and so to and so I mean for us we have the privilege and we can make use of those privileges just as Paul made use of his citizenship to appeal to Rome of course why did he make use of his citizenship to further the great commission exactly yeah. he was going right to Caesar's household right yeah. so I, I get asked I I don't know if there's ever been a country that I've been to where they haven't asked me about Americans and guns people people love asking me about that yeah you know India China Mexico they're like Americans and guns what's up I'm about to sneeze so riff on something for a second. Well, so I mean, it 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 it's, it begs a good question because um, you know at least well, okay, gun rights is probably certainly uh, a recent a recent thing. It was this, a false alarm. I did not sneeze. Well, well, why you man? I was trying to riff and it just didn't work. I'm sorry, <laughs> couldn't come up with anything that's, off the dome on that one. That's going to happen. That, that that sneeze is going to sneak up on me at the least convenient moment in this episode. Probably. All right, let's get into some questions. We got three questions that people have written in over the course of time. And I yanked all of the, uh, um, you know, politically motivated Bible questions. All right. So first question, the world is a scary place and we're all terrified. Wow. Okay. Whatever the question is, we're going to need to pause and deal with that. Go ahead. Uh, What is, 
what is the Christian response to this? We're not supposed to be delusional. And I'm going to read into that, meaning that we're not just like all pie in the sky, by and by kind of a thing. Okay. You know, yeah, um, there are no problems. Christ yeah. is king. It's we're all fine. Good. It's yeah. all good. But we're not supposed to be paranoid either. Oh my gosh, my hair's on fire. You know, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, my voice is pretty weak, guys. <laughs> that was a really good impression oh of, of, a, of a weak need coward that's scared of his own shadow. So okay. good job. I need more coffee. All right. So, <laughs> but we're, we're not supposed to be paranoid either. It seems like the times in which we live are times in which paranoia is a reasonable, and I will, I'll, I'll even amend it. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a reasonable response. Yeah. Sometimes fear is not evil or a lack of virtue. Sometimes fear is a rational response to what's going on. Yeah. If somebody's shooting at you and you feel some fear, uh, legit, you're okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Of course, if you're if you're in this part of the state and you're a Second Amendment guy, then <laughs> there's something else that probably follows. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So first off, let's just get some perspective here. The, the world is a terrifying place. There there are a couple of reasons for that. I'm not disagreeing with it, but also, um, you know, there there are mitigating factors that. Well, okay. So here's here's the truth that I'm going to say. The world's always been a terrifying place. Mm-hmm. We are just more aware of it now, and it's more in our face. Not just because information is easier to come across, um, but yeah, I mean, any any history you read, like you know, it's it has been. There has never been a peaceful time in the world, mm-hmm. right? There have been times of relative peace, but there's never been a time where there wasn't a, a massive threat of extinction or starvation or whatever just looming right over our heads. It's usually been a little bit out of view. Now it's a little bit more in view. So in that sense, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, we are in crunch time in some ways, but it's it's not as it's not as abnormal as it may yeah. seem off the bat. Now the second thing is, um, well, Actually, I'm, I'm going to pull back on that one. Go ahead. I was going to step in. I said, not only is information readily available, but we also have to understand the people presenting to us that information. They profit from our attention, and we spend our time thinking, and we we will automatically go to the most um, salacious or the most scary. If it story. bleeds, it leads exactly. So the okay, uh, talk so, about algorithms, not the tech guy. Yeah, well, okay, well, I mean, if you think about it, you have you have companies that have learning, they have learning machines, and all, and 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 and. and Lower level AI. I'm not talking about the you know the scary stuff that's that that's now so big in the world. But if you have something that's tabulating what stories get the most attention, and so then I'm going to pump stories like this into the news cycle, then all of a sudden the news cycle starts to look more and more and more and more like everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Now, I'm not saying that that some of the stuff that we're seeing is not terrifying and not terrible. But I think oftentimes our perspective, and I say this as a as one of the first things that I do in the morning, not 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 the only first thing that I do, but as I'm waking up, I'll check the news headlines in Twitter. And seriously, oh, I do. I know it's a sin. I probably need to confess that right now and have you just you know. I don't know if it's a sin so much as like a like a um, a strategic blunder. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. You know, there's yeah. There's there's a whole. I have a whole routine, which maybe at some point we'll get, get here's into. A, but here's yeah. a thought. Just a thought experiment. Yeah. You're a happy, bouncy, optimistic guy. You are a joy to be around. You, sir, and I say this with no sarcasm, are a ray of sunshine. Now, oh, here's my question: you. If you didn't check headlines first thing in the morning, how how much more true you would probably that be? would be sick of me. 
<laughs> so that's like you tempering your optimism. Well, I mean, the the one thing, and and this is what happened. When we start thinking about politics, right? In in the two thousand and in the two thousand election, when there was that whole Florida hanging Chad, yeah, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I got so into politics that it destroyed friendships. Oh yeah, and it even and even destroyed uh, my relationships with other believers that I was uh, in many ways even trying to disciple. I mean, these were young believers that mm-hmm. were, you know, um, concerned about climate change and concerned about all these things. You know, and 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 I'm not, you know, I, I'm not saying that there's there's maybe some maybe somebody's putting their thumb on the scale when it comes to the climate change yeah, debate and but, things like but that. But we could all agree at this yeah. point in history, I think that Al Gore is a stooge. Yeah. And that was the thing back yeah. then, right? And and so what and so I but I I damaged a lot of things. So I backed off an awful lot of 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 not necessarily my political opinions, but being so vociferous. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 uh, you know, God bless. There's there's good believers, and if you ever list, if you ever listen to this podcast, I'm talking about you, um, where where they're involved in in the political process. That's great. Mm-hmm. I need want them. them. I want, absolutely yeah, want them to. We be. want them there. But when but for me, it was like okay, that the, the my my allegiance in the city of man became much more important than my allegiance to the city of Christ. Sure. And the the way to separate these things out is a word called maturity. Right. Yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna make the wrong call yeah. on some of that because we feel passionate about certain mm-hmm. things. And we should. Like, political engagement is a natural implication of loving your neighbor. Yeah. Like, you you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be disconnected, like, yeah. floating around with your hands in, in a prayer position all the time and just mm-hmm. speaking softly. Floating in the lotus position. And yeah, like, I, we're not, we're not, we shouldn't pretend to be above these things. But yes. back to the question, like, is, is, is it reasonable to be paranoid these days? My, my answer to that is, that is a, it, it's, it's reasonable to feel fear such that, it moves you towards action. Yeah. Now, the question is, what is that action, right? And that's a theology question. Yeah. The, the question there is, who's your God? Who's your deliverer? Mm-hmm. Where do you go to make it okay? Yeah. And that's where I would say, no, paranoia, let's just, I mean, you know, the word was used, so yeah. let's, let's, let's label that as the extreme response, right? I'm, extreme fear. I'm afraid of my own shadow yeah. now. Everything's going wrong, yeah. and you can't talk me out of it. Which, by the way... In Titus uh, two, where he talks about look, older men are to be temperate and and things like that. It's like that's that's what he's saying there. He's mm-hmm. saying, look, the world is going to be insane, and we need the older men in the church to be like, all right, look, guys, this is bad. There's blood in the streets. This is uh, you know, there's hyperinflation. We are hungry. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to freak out. Okay, we are going to believe our God because I've seen some stuff and he's brought us through it. When old men are the ones running around talking about how bad it is and how bad it's going to get, that's that's where it's like, okay, that right there is paranoia that that is based in a, a forgetting of your faith. That's mm-hmm. based in a forgetting in this moment of what Christ is doing in the world. Mm-hmm. And we've got the end of the book, so let's operate with some confidence. Yeah. So I think fear of, like a, like a rational fear of like, okay, I need to make sure, that, well, here's an example. Um, when there were all those supply chain issues that just hit and people are sending out pictures of empty store shelves, okay? Mm-hmm. If you're a man of the house, it's a reasonable thing to get a little knot in your gut and say, I need to make sure that we've got food for, for my family. What does that look yeah. like? That's good. That's godly, right? If you run around and you're pulling your hair out and you can't take your hands off of your forehead and you're just like, mm-hmm. oh man, the whole world, like it's all Biden's yeah. fault or whatever. It's like, dude, yeah. we, we, got, we got work to do. Let's yeah. go. So yeah, it's a theology question. Who's your God, and what does He have you doing? Yeah, I mean, and even just applying wisdom. I mean, you know, even and this is not some of it might be lessons that I have to learn as a result of, like, say, for example, the supply chain, right? Okay, so is it wise to have a pantry? 
Sure. Yeah, that right? used to be called common sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, even even in the Proverbs, right, the wise man sees trouble down the road and gets out of the way. Yeah. Right. So in other words, if you see trouble out of the road and, you know, that sparks a little bit of a knot in your stomach and then you get out of the way because you see the band of marauders coming and you find yeah. a bush to hide behind. Legit. Buy right? six more AR-15s and you'll be OK. Well, there we go. <laughs> right. But, it, but I, you know, I, you mentioned uh, older men and I was thinking of, you know, some of the old older men in this in this particular church and just how calm and staid they are. Right. I can think of like three or four. And I don't know if I want to call them out necessarily on the podcast, but just like these are guys that, you know, we talk about all kinds of stuff and their and their demeanor is calm. The I get I get the uh I get this answer a lot when we're talking about, you know, because we talk politics, you know, guys will talk about whatever. It's like, "Oh yeah, this is bad and that's bad." And I get this answer a lot from older men. Yep. Yes. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> you know it's what like I mean? they but and I think there's both the benefit of especially if you've got older men who have walked the path of Jesus for so long. Mm-hmm. It's like, "Okay, and you know, and, and some of these guys have been yeah. to hell and back, and they've seen Jesus operate in, yeah. in the worst circumstances. And they're not, again, delusional. They're not delusional to say, yeah, it's going to be okay. Some stuff's not going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And at some point, there will be a catastrophe where you cannot look around and say, this is fine, because it's yeah. just not. But they've got a category for that, and Christ is still Lord, so they can yeah. operate in the midst of it. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and w- w- one of the things, you know, when we talk about, okay, do I get, do I get, do I get despondent or do I get, you know, paranoid at what is going on? I mean, I, I almost want to, want to say it's like you, you would look at John sixteen for example. Just in this world, you're going to have trouble, right? But I've overcome the world, right? There's past there's, tense. Yeah, it's like okay, well, you know, he's taken. It's, it's literally. I mean, and these these older men probably have had that experience where Jesus has taken them by the face and fixed their eyes on him and said, "I have overcome the world," right? Mm-hmm. And it's like you have this. They, they have this experience of being able to walk through these hellish experiences. I mean, some of them have gone through horrendous things in their marriage or in their family or watched dear family members go through crazy stuff. Yeah, or on a battlefield yeah. or whatever. And they've been able to walk through those things. And I think that that's one of, one of the... They've been able to walk through those things with Jesus and come out the other side. Now, yeah. And it's not like they didn't come out unscathed. It doesn't mean that, that everything went all sunshine and rainbows and lollipops with them. Jacob but, walks with yeah. a limp. But... They were able to walk through it, and that's one of the things. Sometimes when when my younger kids are going through very difficult seasons, it's like, okay, let, let's. Jesus will walk through us with this, mm-hmm. and and here's the other cool part. Even at the very end, who's the one person that gets to walk through walk through with us that very last experience that we're going to have, which will be closing our eyes after our heart stops beating. Jesus is going to walk through us because he's been there. Yeah, and, he's and then right it gets worse. With us, then you got judgment. Yeah, and who's who's with you at the judgment? And he's passed through that. Boom, and he yeah, and he is your advocate before yeah. the judgment seat. Yeah, so to to whoever asked this question is because I don't remember at this point is paranoia reasonable these days? Here's the thing: you are the light, right? So it's reasonable to acknowledge the darkness and to respond appropriately, and there's reasonable emotions that go along with that. But you also got a job to do, and you're here for in in the words of the Book of Esther for such a time as this, right? So it's like. Fear, okay. Paranoia, not okay. Um, you know, discipleship, yeah, that's the response, mm-hmm. right? Be a disciple. Follow Christ. Make disciples. Come on now. All right. Yeah. All right, so that brings us uh, to our second question. Um, how should, all caps, how <laughs> should Christian politicians distinguish their faith from their civic duty? Better. Better than they're doing it. I, I can't think of somebody who's doing that well right now. 
I, if if you, if you can think of somebody if if of a Christian politician who is navigating that line well, whether local or national, we should dedicate this episode to them because I can't think of somebody doing it. Now, granted, I'm a I'm a little bit raw on this one because we just had that experience down there at the drag show, right? Yeah. All right, backstory on this: uh, we go down to the drag show on Resurrection Sunday because there was an Easter drag show, and here's the thing. I'm not going to say these guys' names because they are believers. Now, I want to call them out. I, I want to tell you Mr. Sessler's first name, but I'm not going to do that because, you know, it's we should apply a little bit of optimism. I would like to tell you Mr. Clippert's first name, but I'm not going to do that because love believes all things, and I would like to think that it's not the way that it looked. But at the same time, once you're in the public arena and you're our employee, and you are a, a representative and a politician, I think you have lost the, um, the, the appeal for a benefit of the doubt. You have to represent the interests which you are there for. And here's what I saw. I saw guys showing up to look like they were on the front lines of something and then not opening their mouths when they were there. So here's the story. We get there, and uh, there's, there's people there to share the gospel at the drag show on Resurrection Sunday, Okay. And uh, one of the one of the guys, one of the local politicians um, who's running for office or just did or something, he he says, "Hey guys, let's uh, let's gather up a prayer circle right in the middle of the the demonstration, the the support for the the drag queens, the drag show." And it's like, all right, this might be a methodological disagreement. Okay, I understand. Like you know, me personally, it's like we can pray anywhere. Do we have to do something that looks to them to be an act of hostility before we go and share the gospel with them? This might not be the best strategic move, but I'm down with the power of prayer. So I'm like, not a great idea, I don't think, practically, but whatever, I'm in. So I go into the prayer circle, we all pray, and uh, then it's like, all right, let's go share the gospel with some people, right? So we do, and there was a, a camera there, and as soon as the camera's gone, the politician's gone. And he gave a little interview before that, and then he did the prayer circle thing, and then he was just gone. When the work actually started and there was no camera on him anymore, because the camera's left after that, he was gone. And I'm just like, listen, dude, like you you didn't actually engage the darkness at all. You showed up for a photo op and that, because he's running as a Christian, and he's going to and speaking at, at Christian events, and some churches will have him there and whatever. And he's and I've I've been to some of the events where he is, and he gives a really good rah rah Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. If we just repent, the Lord will heal our land. And he's actually said some some really good stuff that I'm like, I'm glad somebody's saying that in public. But that was a friendly crowd. That was red meat for that crowd. And now when there's a when, there, when there's a possibility for a little bit of opposition, then he's gone. Now the case could be made optimistically, which again, I don't think politicians get the benefit of the doubt. I think they have to answer for every bit of this, but optimistically, I would say maybe he had to distinguish his function as a public figure from his private Christianity. And I would say that is a gross error of categories there. Um, you can't, you can't be two people. That's, that's a forked tongue. That's being double-minded. And so he, it looked to me like he showed up to present a certain face. And then when that, when that was done, he was gone. And there were no souls snatched from the fire on his end. And then there was another guy who showed up to pray. And I'm like, that's good. I love praying. Great. Handed him some tracks and said, hey, I got, I got some tracks here. You want them? He said, yep. I said, cool. Come share the gospel. You know, let, let's, let's go snatch some souls from the fire. And he was like, nope, I'm just going to sit here and pray. I'll be far off and I'll just read my Bible and pray. And then he said, but if I were in your position, here's what I would say. And I'm thinking, dude, like, then get in my position and go say it. 
Like, what's the problem here? I don't understand how guys, and some of these guys, I'm talking outside of this situation now. These guys are war veterans, right? It's like, how can you stand up to an enemy that's pointing a gun at you, but you can't go and share the gospel with a drag queen? You're scared of them? Are you serious right now? And so I'm, I'm really, really upset at um, the, the poor navigation of Christians in, in the, the public sector, right? Um, I think we're doing a terrible job of that, and we need to fix this. So let's fix it. How should a Christian who is in political office, can you read the question again, the, the wording, how's a Christian who is in political office distinguish? How should Christian politicians distinguish their faith from their civic duty? Yeah, I, just, I think it's a false dichotomy. I'll put it this way. Jonathan Lehman, the Nine Marks guy, he wrote a book on, you know, the Christian and politics. And the, the book was okay. But I really liked the introduction. The, the introduction was the only reason to get the book, really. And he, he laid it out in such a way where he, he said, um, here's, here's politics. Politics is the battleground for our gods. So we bring our gods and we put them on the table and we let them fight. This is my set of ultimate values and principles and rights and wrongs. This is mine. And some people's, you know, God, to use his analogy there, there's their set of ultimate truths that they're bringing to bear and trying to apply is we need to keep God out of society completely because he doesn't exist or whatever. So that, they, boom, there's this. Now advocate for that in the political sphere. Somebody else says there is a God and he's spoken and it's okay, you know, to, to operate in society with people who do not agree with him or follow him, but there's ultimate right and ultimate wrong. Here you go. That would kind of be the Christian position, right? So you, he says, this is the, the arena where our gods battle. And I'm like, that's exactly right. He's, I think he's 100% right about that. So I don't think that you can... Marco Rubio did this years ago when he was running for president. They were like, so you're a, you're a Catholic, right? Which apparently he goes to like an evangelical church or something. I don't know. But he was like, yeah, I'm a Catholic. And they, they were like, okay, so what if the Pope says something that you disagree with or that's contrary to your policy? Are you going to change your policy and take orders from the Pope? Right? Which was, I mean, it was kind of a gotcha question. But also, there's an element of that that's fair, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, um, what, what's the answer going to be? And his answer was, no, the, uh, the Pope is infallible in matters of faith, but I'm, this is politics. My personal faith has nothing to do with my political decisions. And I'm like, if that's true, that's a bad answer. And if that's not true, then it's a lie. But, you know, it, that's, that's not realistic. You can't just set your values aside and then engage in your job. You have to operate in your values, especially when you're talking about ideas, you know, and advocating for ideas. I've ranted a little bit. I yield the remaining oh, time to the gentleman. Well, I, you know, I, I definitely think that most, if not all of our politicians, I definitely get the feel that I'm a voting block that I, I get to be appealed to, you know, I mean, I, and I'll even. Or activated. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I got that, I get that sense every, every four years, every, every actually now it's like every two years because the election cycle is both the midterms and the, and the presidential term elections. You just, you feel like, you know, somebody's trying to pull my strings, mm. you know, and. And I don't, the, the current, and, and, you know, I could get myself in all kinds of hot water here. I think our current political spectrum really just lends, lends and encourages polarization and not conversation. And I'm not saying that we don't stick up for Christian principles or anything like that. But I think that the, the extreme vilification of, of, of people who, who you, with whom you disagree, I'm not sure that, that, that that's, that's been helpful. And I think it's it's lend it's definitely led itself to letting certain people have power, and to continue that. But to, to be able to sit down and have an honest debate about okay, and and I'm and I'm going to be 
uh, okay, I'll pick a different topic, but you, know, you, you, you think of like tax policy, right? And you have an honest debate about what I think about tax policy. And this is where I'm formed from some biblical convictions, right? You know, and, that's, and there's legitimacy to that. There's also policy on generosity, which I think we get to actually in the next question. And, and where does the government step in? And what is my personal responsibility as a Christian to step in, right? And, and, and to be able to have these conversations and then for someone to say, well, you're just heartless because you're not willing to give something to somebody, well, when you're when I'm thinking, well, I'm actually not being heartless because sometimes, you know, people work when they're hungry. We want them to work and flourish. And so by me not handing, you know, a, a ten dollar bill to somebody who's begging on the street instead of saying, Look, I know a guy who can get you a job today. Would you be willing to do that? And have someone say, No, I don't want to do that. It's like, okay, well, okay. That's a heartbreaker, isn't Lord, it? Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, Lord bless you. You know, so would I, would I, would I have. Yeah, it's like, God bless you, but he's not going to because yeah, well, I just offered his blessing and, channels and you slapped it and away. On top of that, you know, I'm not saying be warm and well filled. I'm yeah. saying, hey, I can get you a job right. today. You know, I can get you a job and a place to stay. Today. Well, so I, I think that is our yeah. next question, but let me, yeah. let me circle back here for a second because sure. um, if, if we take a, if we take an issue like, um, oh shoot, it just left my brain. Maybe whatever you had yesterday is is getting transferred to me now. I don't think so. Achoo. Hey, there was that <laughs> sneeze. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if we if we if we take a if we take an issue that i I feel very strongly about, I can I can say, okay, I've I remember what it was. I've got I've got biblical principles underlying this, but my application is not necessarily thus saith the Lord. So for example, if you take capital punishment, okay, mm-hmm. I now this is this is very personal. This is not a pastor saying I'm getting this from the Bible. This is just my perspective on stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should be um, executing criminals in this country because I think we've sacrificed the moral authority to do it. it. It's not it's not that I think it's wrong at its core. I just think that we we can't be that our our current political system cannot be um, or our justice system cannot be trusted to apply that fairly. So I'm not in favor of us trying to apply it because I think we're going to get it wrong a lot. So I'm like, all right, in this situation. Let's back off. But the Bible comes in and says, no, he who sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. And so if the government goes ahead and does that, and if they do it unjustly, I can, I can speak up. But if, if they do that, I can't say it's, it's wrong because the Bible just disagrees. And so there I've got to yield my feelings and my opinions to yeah. what the Bible actually says. I have this conversation yeah. with, um, you know, libertarian leaning people a lot where it's like, it's easy to say taxation is theft right? Taxation is theft. And it's a nice soundbite. And you can make the case about the government being evil and stealing your money and doing whatever. Jesus just disagrees. He says like, what is that? Luke 13. He's to like, look, you have revenue. Yeah. He's, yeah. Well, well that's yeah, that's Paul. Romans, that's Romans 13. No, yeah. that's exactly right though. That's, yeah. that's a hundred percent true. Jesus and Paul both are like, no, for this reason you pay taxes, yeah. get it done. Right yeah. now you can have a whole conversation about just taxation versus unjust taxation. And at what point taxation does overstep proper, um, uh, governmental function and it becomes theft and fine but at its core taxation mm-hmm. is not theft and so as as conservative as my reflexes are oh, like yeah. you know my my emotional and political knee jerk is about as conservative as it gets and i just need to shut up sometimes because god says i'm wrong yeah and you you think about like even getting to the point where i i do not agree that certain tax dollars that come out of either my income or that come out of my property taxes are going towards certain programs. Like, come yeah. on, yeah. you know, like, you know, that does, you know, property taxes usually fund schools, right? And what are those, what, what are things that our schools are teaching right now? They're terrible evil. stuff, right? It's evil, right? You know, it, and, and, and so to, 
And, and, and for those of you in the public school system, look, I'm not, I'm not teachers. I know you're working hard. This is, that's all the caveats and addendums. You're, you're loved by Christ. That's great. I know you're trying to shine in the classroom, right? But that's your mission but field. The, but the overall, but the overall arching, look, I've been there. I've been there with a Christian teacher talking with me through a program that she has to teach my son according to, this was in California, according to California law. And I'm looking at a, I'm looking at this material and, and I'm uncomfortable looking at this material myself, let alone with an, with another woman in the room. I'm like, what are you, what are you displaying for my, for my 10 year old son? Excuse me. You know, less I mean, than that's... Jake, the great ska band, less than Jake, who I think was the greatest ska band ever to exist. They had a song called hell looks a lot like LA prophecy. They would not be wrong, you know, <laughs> so to, but to sit there and go, I don't, I don't agree with my tax dollars going towards that. Now, does that mean I stop paying my tax dollars? See, that's the thing. Paul would you just know? say no. Yeah. And G- I mean, Jesus was like, Hey, there's a temple tax and you know what? I own the temple and yet mm. we're still going to pay it. Yeah. You know, even, yeah. even if you're ticked off at what the word, even if he was ticked off at what the religious leaders was doing, which he was, which he was. You know, <laughs> you know, he's still going yeah. to pay the tax. And he wasn't exactly subtle about it either. Oh, no, he wasn't. Yeah. So the, the whole thing about, about people distinguishing, I think was the word in the question, yeah. distinguishing their, their private faith from their public service. I think that's just got to go. And, you know, immediately when you say stop it, you know, like or advocate from a perspective of faith, people's minds just go directly towards theocracy. And that thing we've made fun of so many times before where you copy paste Leviticus and try and make that law. Mm -hmm. That's not what anybody's saying. Stop it. I think there might have been three people in American history who have advocated for that and they were high. Okay, so just like ignore it. They're, They're idiots. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is if you approach your political service or your civic duty with the mindset of setting aside your convictions, then they're not convictions and you're a hypocrite and you're, you're claiming to operate on a different set of principles than you verbally affirm. Stop it. Just be a Christian in the public sphere. What's so wrong with that? Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, I think that, I think that, um, you think we're embarrassed of the gospel. You think that's what it is. You you think we want to now, maybe I'm being cynical here, Mm -hmm. but do you think that, when, when politicians talk like that, or prospective politicians, candidates, when they talk like that, do you think they're just trying to get the approval of evil people? Maybe. I, I think that, again, because, our, because right now our current political climate does not allow for a moderated position or even just a, a you know, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm running for government. I believe in these things. And guys are yeah. saying that. And guys are saying that, and it's great. You know, and it's like, well, that means it, obviously you think that you, you hate women and when you want to destroy women's right. health care. It's like, no, that's not what I'm it's saying. It's like if, if the sentence takes yeah. longer, if, if the idea takes longer than one sentence of five words to express, it doesn't fit in our political discourse. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, and, so, and so for us to, because the world, you know, not, it, it's, it makes sense that the world would do this is that the world is so vilified Christianity and vilified Christians that to say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. A Christian can't get elected. Yeah. A Christian can't get elected. And so that, you know, is there a, is there a, fra- a fear? Yeah. Maybe that's a political calculation, you know, and, yeah. and I'm not, and I'm, you know, and that's, that's hard. You know, I know that there are good solid believers. Um, I can't think of any offhand, which means I really shouldn't say that. <laughs> so, but, no, but there are, to your point though, there have been people that have gotten elected. I, uh, I don't know about a, on a national level. Well, I'm, I'll tell you what. Agree or disagree with the policies and everything like that. Uh, Mike Pence has always been consistent about like, he's like, hey, I'm a Bible thumper. That's just who I am. And so I guess there's one guy that's been consistent about his 
um, claim to Christianity. And again, that's to say nothing about the policies that resulted from it or whatever. I'm not, I'm not endorsing or, or denying any of that, but just to stay focused on it, like that's, that's one guy maybe. And then there are some guys on the local level that so far have been consistent on that. But again, I've only ever seen them speak to friendly audiences, yeah. right? It, well, I've only ever seen them verbally and intentionally represent Christ in front of friendly audiences. When the pressure is on, I don't know that I've seen any of them actually appeal to ultimate yeah. truth in that moment. Yeah. Which doesn't mean they wouldn't, you know. We got we got some candidates on the block right now that it's like, you know, they might be they might be great. But again, no benefit of the doubt for these guys, right? Like show me. And maybe they maybe it'll work. But yeah, man, it's just like like how how much are we going to and I say this not as a citizen. I'm not putting on my citizen hat right now. I'm putting on my disciple hat. How often are we going to dance to the tune of Satan's pan, uh, pan pipe, before we just like look at each other and say, "Would you just act like a disciple? Would you just stop it?" Yeah. I, so I'm 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 gonna I'm I'm gonna push because I want I I think that I want to clarify a couple things that you just mentioned. First of all, do it. We don't we don't give them any benefit of the doubt. How is is that is that acting graciously? towards those that God has placed in authority or is, you know, may providentially be placing an, an authority over us? Yes. Okay. How so? Because first off, we're loving our neighbor by um, holding the people who hold their well-being and their hands accountable, right? So it's, I'm, I'm far less concerned with oh, the person okay. who has power and, yeah. and they're, them feeling accepted by me than I am about doing my job to love my neighbor. And, and sometimes same, those are yep. mutually exclusive. I was saying the same thing that you've mentioned before is oftentimes, you know, elections are our performance reviews for our politicians, yeah. right? Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say is they they work for us and, you know, in, in the system that we have. Now, we could talk about, you know, Christianity and other mm-hmm. cultures or whatever, yep, yep. but our reality is these people are supposed to answer to us. And we so that, that means that it's incumbent upon us to have a leadership position mm-hmm. and to do our job. Yeah, and you know, definitely with leadership comes responsibility, comes accountability, and you know, just in the same way that James, I'm going to be butchering um, a quote here, and maybe the similar principles that when when James says, "Not many of you should become teachers," because you know you'd be certain, you'd mm. given a harsher judgment. Is it possible? And I recognize this is not what the text is saying, but maybe not many of you should become leaders because you know, again, there's going to be a stricter judgment. I could go with that. I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we read Psalm two, right? Yeah. Hey, kings of the earth. Uh, do homage. God's watching you. Yeah. You kiss the sun or else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. I, I mean, I think we've, we've discussed this a lot. I, I, what I would be interested in, I, you know, there's a, I'm going to have to do some research on this too, just, just in my own personal thing, looking a little bit more at, at the idea of political leadership. And again, understanding the ancient Near Eastern culture, in other words, mm-hmm. Bible times, culture didn't necessarily have the concept of a representative, you know, republic, right? right. It was either a monarchy or they were conquered or things like that. Yeah. There was there was not a whole lot of issues of maybe representation. You might be able to make some kind of argument for the judges in in Exodus, right? You know, you know, something like that. You could possibly make an argument for it from that standpoint, but there still was a theocracy. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was, or at least, yeah, it was a theocracy. Yeah. It was being established there at Sinai. So Moses comes down from the mountain and you obey. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hmm, God <laughs> said something. Politics. I guess I got to do it. So um, that might bear some more 
that might bear some more fun. Maybe a better, another podcast at some point. Yeah. All right. Question number three. I have heard you say before that you think the welfare system is immoral, but I have also heard you say that you're glad a rich society can take care of their poor. So can you explain your perspective on welfare? What does the Bible say? And should Christians get food stamps? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty sure this one came directly to me. Um, yeah. And I, I'll just say, I could be wrong on this stuff. This is me trying to piece together um, love with justice, um, meaning just laws and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, and so the, I think what we're doing here is we're operating in an area of wisdom, generosity, um, and, and love when we're talking about giving to the poor. And I think that that is, um, whatever the laws actually are, that's Jesus turf right there. So we've got to, we've got to align with certain principles. So there are some principles that, um, you know, when you, when you help people, when you, when you try to help people in a way that's not actually helping them, then you're contributing to their harm. And at some point you have to stop. Now the question is, are we helping more than we're hurting with the welfare system? Now to put on my citizen hat, I'm skeptical of that. I think, you know, uh, well, let me back up. So I am I am very glad that the richest society that has ever existed can take care of the poor. And I think if a super rich society like ours and like it, you know, has been for a long time, if we turn our backs on the poor, um, as a as a as a cultural agreement, we are not going to take care of our poor people. That would be evil and I would call that out. So in a sense, to have a a social safety net, and I'm avoiding the word welfare because it's got negative connotations now, to have a social safety net of something for people in the hardest times, I think is a good principle. Have we applied that well? It seems to me that the system is set up to to reproduce um, waste, fraud, and abuse far more than compassion for the the poor and i'm concerned about the level of dependence that it fosters on the system and mm-hmm. things like that it, the way that it replaces the family so often well and, and part of this when i lived in uh, england they had a policy where if a girl was 13 or above and she was pregnant then she could jump on the government system they would give her an apartment and put her on the welfare system right so you had girls and i don't even know what it's like now this was back in the early 2000s when i was a teenager you had girls that were mad at their parents, and so they would go get pregnant so that they could be out on their own, and the government would just take care of them. And I'm like, that's that's almost, except for the intervention of God, that is almost a guarantee of a miserable future and a jacked-up legacy with the environment this kid's going to be raised in and so on, right? Yeah. So I don't think that's a loving thing to do. So my, my complex answer to this is I'm in favor of the principle of, of a society taking care of its poor beyond what is strictly um, obligated, yeah. right? I like that. I don't think we're doing it well, and I'm, I'm very much opposed to our current welfare system. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, two things that you, you reminded me of is, is, is the, the decimation, for example, of fatherhood in the African-American community or even in poor communities, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not equating the two. Please don't demonetize us because I said those two yeah. things. Good thing we're know. not monetized. I know. But, but it's, the true, it's also true yeah. in Benton City. Yeah. Right? Which is mostly white. There's yeah. just the broken families all over the place. Yeah. You take away, you know, you, you, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of philosophical reasons for this, but if you make it so that, for example, someone, if they were to, there's this huge gap between someone who can come out of the out of the welfare system and then be still able to be self-sustaining you know we make this huge gap where i mean i i saw this with with distant distant relatives um where they were on uh they were they were on an assistance program 
And it was fiscally, the, the, you know, the guy is just looking at their balance sheet and he's saying it's fiscally irresponsible for me to pursue, you know, something, pursue a job. Yeah. Because I, you know, if I do that, then all of a sudden I lose not only, not only, you know, yeah, I might be able to start making, you know, a decent wage, but all of a sudden now I lose healthcare. Mm-hmm. And then my, and then my, my family balance sheet goes in the red. Yeah. How often have you and I tried to get guys, you know, like to, we're, we're discipling a guy and we're trying to get him following Christ. And it's like, dude, get a job. And they're like, I make more sitting at home. Yeah. It's like, you have yeah. so when yeah, the but system, your soul is rotting inside exactly. of exactly yeah. And when the system is, and when the system says, "Hey, just you know, here, uh, you know, eat out of the government pot only," then, then, then you're yeah, you're destroying industry. You're destroying. I'm, I'm just you know, you're destroying all of these things, but you're also promoting idleness, right? Yeah, you're destroying yeah. manhood is what you're and, doing. And and one of the things that Paul mentions, you know, he he even says, I mean, you, we, again, we gotta understand. Paul and and especially the the, the brothers in, in in the church, right? Acts, you know, Paul's famous for his whole thing: take care of widows, right? He's you know, there's mercy there. If there, mm-hmm. if you know, there's 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 a whole section in First Timothy five, you know, talking about widows and taking care of them and things like that. But he also says something like this, right? He says, um, you know, uh, keep away from a brother who is walking in idleness and not according to the tradition you received from us, right? Um, and, and so, and there's a, you know, a ton, you know, it even says, if anyone is not willing to work, then let him not eat. Yeah. And where I thought you were going with that's, that's a great point. And where I thought you were going, let me just bring that out too, yeah. is that in that passage where he talks about taking care of widows and, and your own and your family, he also says, make sure the church doesn't get in front of the family. Yes. The family has to do it first. And so anything that's going to replace the primary structure of the family, I think has a, at least a kernel, even if it's unintentional. I'm mm-hmm. being as optimistic as possible here. Even if it's unintentional, it has a kernel of evil because it's destructive to the structures that God has put in place to deal with these things. Yeah. So we're doing God's job for him. So there, there's, it's, it's completely doomed from the start, yeah. if that's the premise. Yeah, and then, and then you even boil down to, and I, and I understand where there's a good... If there's a good um, structure, societally, governmental structure for taking care of the poor, but yeah. I think sometimes when we depend too much on that, the government is actually taking, they're stepping into that role not only for the family, yeah. but they're also stepping in that role even for the for, for Christian mercy. Totally. I, so, I, I like stopgap measures, right? Yeah. If, you, if you've got a homeless vet, I'm glad that there's, you know, the... the there's an idea that there are programs that can get that guy some shelter, some yeah. food, and a chance at a job. Well, and on top temporarily. of that, yeah, and on top of that, there's a benefit that you earn as a veteran. True, that, that, and so it's so there's it's, a moral component. There's a moral to that. component yeah. to that as well. But yeah, I mean, you, a stopgap measure is great. The problem is, is that we and and this is this is I see this all over the place. So this isn't just governmental problems. We suck at moving between those transitional periods, right? Where, where, you, where you have some kind of triage, somebody's. You know, somebody's broken. It's hard to move them to the point where they're not, where they're, where they're incapable of taking care of themselves to when they're actually capable of kind of walking on their own, right? Right, and that's a discipleship issue, right? Because a lot of times when there's a great need, not all the time, but a majority of the times, that need was created by decision-making processes that got them there. And so if we meet the material need, but we're not discipling them to think in a certain way that God says leads to flourishing, we're only resourcing their further despair. Well, and and the way that even even in in our society, we don't look at success by how many people we get out of that system. We look at success by how many people we are serving. And so you want your numbers up, 
you serve as many as possible. Yeah, you get your budgets up. Yeah, yeah. you get your budget. So, and so for us, it's like success would actually look like the welfare system evaporating because yep. there's so many jobs and there's so many other ways. Families, families are intact. Attacked. Churches are functioning yeah. well. Which, by the way, I will say, the, the church gets a lot of, not grace and truth, but the church, big C, you know, universal church, gets a lot of crap from people about not doing a good job on this. I personally disagree. I agree too. Yeah, I, I disagree. I'm, yeah. I'm seeing this from the inside and it's like, you know, like I get it. it I agree with the statement that if if the church was robust and functioning, you know, on all cylinders at all times, then there would be no need for a government welfare program. That's true. And that's a beautiful thought. And I love it, right? If people could turn to the church instead of the government and we, we could actually just like, and we were all active enough to just meet the needs, that would be a far superior system. That being said, that requires a level of cultural dominance that the church just doesn't have right now. And so the question is, what are we being faithful with what we have? And when I see the private generosity, the stuff that doesn't mm-hmm. even get documented because it's just Christian to Christian, the Holy Spirit is is doing things that are far more loving than a welfare system is capable of doing. And that doesn't mean that all government efforts are bad. It just means the government can't do some of this stuff. It just can't. It's not it's not set up for it. Like it, it, that's not the nature of the thing. And some of the stuff we see in the church is just gorgeous and it's easy to say that the church isn't living up to a certain level because we don't see usually in public because it's done privately we don't see how much the church actually is doing and what would happen if that dropped out right yeah. like how, how much we're actually supporting things as, as the bride of christ is is um literally impossible to quantify yeah and i and and I can go on another rant, but I'm not going to. So Okay. I, I respect your restraints, sir. Yeah. So Yeah, so let me wind up where we started. I, well, I, I was gonna wrap this thing up with a, a principle. Were you gonna take it to another place there? Nope. Okay. Let me wrap up where we started. These Oh, one question. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. One question we didn't answer is should Christians get food stamps? Ah, I see. Um well, so this is this is going to be my opinion as a Christian citizen. But I do not think I've got, I got biblical principles to apply here. I don't think I've got a direct quote from the Bible. So people could be free to disagree with me on this. Um, I would say there's nothing inherently immoral about getting food stamps for a time um, to, to like stopgap measures, right? If, if you make use of that system temporarily in a, in a season of desperation, as long as you're not replacing um, work or the family or the church. I think first, you know, first thing is work and work harder and work longer and make some sacrifices and do whatever, provide for yourself and for your own, right? Handle your responsibilities. If food stamps replaces that, then it's evil. You shouldn't do it. Um, if you've got family, this is their job. And actually it's a great blessing for you to turn to them and ask for help and let them help you. And if you're cutting them off from the opportunity to do that, whether it's because of pride or bad relationships or whatever, then food stamps would be sinful because you're going around the structures God has provided for this. And then uh, be a Christian, be a disciple, follow Christ, and then turn to the church and say, hey, here's my need. What, what can you do? What do I need to do? And so on. And let your Christian family, your Christian brothers and sisters come in and help you. So as long as those boxes have all been checked, um, then I could see a scenario where it would not be evil for Christians to be on food stamps. The, what we see most of the time, I say, I say food stamps, it's EBT cards now, right? Um, 
what what I see most of the time is that people get saved while they are already on these systems. And we're we're they're not evaluating should I jump onto the system? We're talking about how can we get you out of that yeah. and, and stop being on dependence. So Yeah, and 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 part of it is I think it's a heart condition. In other words, is this is this is this easy? Am I promoting again idleness and laziness? Well, no. And look, I I know I know of of single moms who work their fingers to the bone, mm-hmm. who are amazing godly women who are laboring hard to provide. Yep. And and they have not taken that and I'm just like, okay, you're awesome. Yeah. You know, that's and that is My something hero. exactly. That is something to be held in high regard. You yeah. know, I mean even you know, you know, my, my mother was a, she was a single mom. Granted, we also did have family that helped us, right? Mm-hmm. I had grandparents that were just awesome and let us live on their farm. But my mom didn't use that as a, as an, as an opportunity for idleness, nice. you know, or anything like that. She, she labored hard, right? Go Ben's and mom. So, I know, dude, she's awesome. She's with Jesus right now, but that's okay. Yeah. But, but in that whole idea of you look at, you look at that versus someone who, and, 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 and I don't want to make a, a gross caricature, but someone who's idle, Mm-hmm. And just receiving that, and it's not, you know, and and there might be circumstances. Again, this is temper. This is this. There's a time balance to this, right? If you've got someone, say for example, who's you know lost a spouse, right, and now all of a sudden is getting a, a death benefit. Legit, mm-hmm. okay, it's a benefit that comes, right? You know, but when it comes to, am I just letting that take care of me? Mm-hmm. You know, as is like from like Social Security or something like that, right? That's fine. I also know again of widows whose husbands go husbands who who were who were very careful with their investments and their finances so that they could provide even in their death. Like life insurance. I'm like, dude, that's that's not being idle. You're someone is taking care of you, right? Yeah. You know, that's planning that's, ahead. That's, that's planning wisdom. ahead. That's good, right? Yeah. And so that single mom there who's who's struggling, you know, maybe the you know her hours get cut or whatever, and she thinks, well, goodness, I'm a Christian. And so, you know, I don't want to be like a bum that's not working. So I shouldn't sign up for, you know, in Washington, we have WIC, which is, you know, WIC stands for something. Women, infants, and children, I think. Okay. Yeah. And so your, uh, you know, your, your milk and your eggs are going to cost less, right? Dude, okay. Like, you're a member of the most prosperous society there has ever been. You're yeah. making it work. So make use of God's means first. And then if you, if you make use of these things in their proper place, you have not sinned. And if you, if you are listening to this and you're just like, oh man, I'm on government assistance and whatever, and I just need to get off of it. Yeah. We need to work that direction. Right. And, yeah. and you know, but you're not, you're not in sin just because yeah. you're participating. But even, even if you're thinking I got to work off of it, first of all, that's probably a healthy thing. Totally. Right? In other words, that we want to promote human industry. We, mm-hmm. I mean, we want to promote, you know, the creation mandate, go mm-hmm. multiply, you know, make tend, things, tend to the garden, you know, and that's, name an animal. And I mean, whether you're a dude or you're a, or whether you're a, a lady, right? There's God loves industry in His people. Yeah. I mean, you think about, you know, let, you know, we want the He wants the man to work with his hands, right? Mm-hmm. He wants the man to tend the garden. But then you've also got the Proverbs 31 lady who is probably more industrious than most of the dudes that I've seen in a long time buying land, she's well, horse yeah, trading, be, doing all that kind of stuff because she's yeah. she's a a human in her proper context, right? Yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, this is a whole different subject, but it's like, you know, with, with the work and the not work and the stay-at-home mom thing and the, and the whatever yeah. and all these conversations are like, oh, Proverbs 31 woman, she's doing all this great stuff. And so it's, it like becomes a, like a feminist cry. Oh, and it's yeah. like, dude, well, this is not like, yeah, it's gender specific, but the point is, and I'm, I'm piggybacking on what you're saying yeah. here, Ben. The point is humans work and yeah. create. 
and produce. And anything that gets in the way of that is evil, right? Now, if you're suffering under the effects of the fall, I get it. Let's help. But yeah. So here's, here's the principle behind that or behind everything that we've talked about here. Um, we've talked about very earthy type of, of things. Like how do you handle these things in the world? But to circle back to where we started, all of this stuff has spiritual implications. It has spiritual causes. There are, um, you know, like at the risk of, of getting weird into angelology and stuff, God sends angels as ministering spirits to help us in our efforts in this world. Like he's very interested in, in this work that we do. And when you're being effective for Christ, there's demonic opposition, right? Like we're not, we're not playing on a level field here, especially when we're talking about politics, but all of this stuff is to be engaged prayerfully um, and with, with wisdom, with the word of God, because we can't be trusted to have all of the information in ourselves to make all of the right decisions, right? So the, we, need, we need to rely on God just for the, the wisdom to make the right decisions and then the power to follow through on it and everything else. Operating in this world is a spiritual battle. It's not only a spiritual battle, but it is a spiritual battle. So if you are submitted to Christ, if you are listening to to the voice of the shepherd you are praying in the spirit you're moving forward under you know in wisdom under the the you know in the um living in the fear of living skillfully in the fear of the lord that's our definition for wisdom right if you're moving forward living skillfully in the fear of the lord you're going to be correct about these things more often than you're going to be incorrect and when you're incorrect no big deal shake it off change your mind rock and roll and we move forward because we're disciples because jesus deserves such disciples and we shall be them we'll see you on the next one Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. Okay, now hold on a second. Before I stop recording here, let me let me throw this offer out there. To uh, any politicians, local ones or otherwise, I don't suspect that this will make it past that audience, <laughs> past the local audience, but to any politicians who would like to come in here and discuss these matters, we will definitely have you because I just called a couple of them out by name. And if you want to come in and tell me why I'm off and we can we can go ahead and talk about that and see if we can come to a brotherly or sisterly consensus, rock and roll. I'd love to have you guys. I promise not to be hostile, but it is important that uh, you know these guys answer for stuff. So if you would like to have that conversation, we will have a brotherly conversation. Okay, we're out. Bye. And you got already got that already. And you know we love him because he first loves us.